and welcome to episode three of 27th Heaven, a podcast about the Angels. I'm Fabian Nardaya, the Angels beat writer for The Athletic, and I'm joined in this episode uh, by another former Sun Devil and who's also covering the Angels. That'll be Jack Harris, the new Angels beat writer for the Los Angeles Times. Ja- hey, Jack, how's it going? I'm good, Fabian. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Have to I, For some reason, like the first three episodes, I've just tried to bring in people that either I worked with before or went to school with before and I'm <laughs> glad that you fit into that trend that we I think I don't think we crossed over working together in college but we did go to college together at Arizona State yeah I think there were uh, a couple weeks at the start of gosh what year would it have been the 2018 ASU baseball season maybe we were we were on the on the beat together uh, yeah but, uh, serious yeah. baseball there I mean that that team did have some talent <laughs> but I don't think I mean I think was Connor Higgins still around, the Angels prospect? Connor Higgins was on that team. Oh, perfect. So we'll, also, we'll both have a, a real intimate knowledge of uh, him if he makes it to the big leagues at some point, yeah. which he might. I mean, he is, he's a hard throw on the lefty with some really potential down the line. Yeah, I think the more notable name from that team will be uh, Spencer Torkelson's freshman year. Yes, but we'll see. <laughs> yes, and uh, Hunter Bishop, who also is like a top 10 pick in his own right. He's in the Giants system now. Uh, but yeah, Jack, you're new on the beat. Uh, you're replacing Maria Torres, who left who left the Los Angeles Times to go work at the Athletic, a good publication uh, covering the Nationals. Um, so, I mean, how, how did you sort of get to this point from Arizona State? I know, obviously, you've been with the Times for a little while now, but like, how did this sort of all come together for you? Yeah, I've been with. Uh, I joined the Times in the in June 2019, so coming out of college, um, and yeah, I've done. A lot of stuff in uh, my first two years at the paper. Um, you know, a little bit of baseball, kind of more focused, helping out with our Dodgers coverage. Uh, covered the Kings, covered uh, all sorts of stuff. Like, it's a fun part about being in Southern California, like being from Phoenix originally. Coming out here, there's just so much, like, sports that happens. Um, you know, like, I, I never thought about surfing or skateboarding or some of these other things that I've written about. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really cool uh, to be able to, to focus on the Angels now, a team that, I mean, so much, so much interesting stuff happens. Uh, That's one way to put it. Yeah. Last night, great example. We're walking into the stadium trying to pick up our credentials and there's a trade that happens and then we sit down and there's signings and then there's Otani with a blister. So yeah, it's, uh, it keeps you busy for sure. I think you forgot Chris Rodriguez making the team. Yeah. So, the guy, yeah, the guy who was nowhere near the bullpen picture to start the spring. Yeah. The, the fifth note uh, coming out of last night. Yeah. It's, uh, I hear that there's a lot of nights like that around the team. So. <laughs> there are. It was funny. I think I was talking to like even before yesterday's game. I think at that point only the James Hoyt trade had happened. I was talking to Juan Toribio, who used to work at the Athletic, now works on We.com covering the Dodgers. Uh, this is his first spring covering them. I was like, oh, like what? What's your conversation? It's like, oh, they're trying to figure out who they're like. Which of their like ten starters is going to be their fifth starter? And like, meanwhile, the Angels have like all these different things going on with their roster on and off the field. Uh, sort of going into that uh it's interesting uh, having you sort of come on this spring uh, on the angels beat because obviously this is a very different spring to start a baseball beat i know you had like a little bit of experience uh with normal spring training last spring uh, just sort of filling in uh but like what was that like just hopping onto a beat right before spring training and then having it be essentially remote spring training yeah, I mean that's kind of the the toughest part is just the not getting able, or not being able to interact with people on a day to day basis around around the ballpark in Tempe. Um, you know, there's a lot you can do over the phone, over Zoom. Um, but yeah, trying to make some of those personal connections, especially with 
you know, players or other people that are inside the, the team bubble. Uh, that's, it's been a, a unique sort of challenge, but I think, you know, at this point, a year kind of into figuring out how to report uh, around a pandemic anyway, uh, you get used to it. Like, you know, covering like the Dodgers in the playoffs last year was, was really kind of hard because you have however many people, dozens, hundreds of people listening in on, on each of the zoom calls and you're trying to find information or, or just stories that other people won't do. So it's, it's been a similar experience to that. Um, and in some ways it's good. It encourages you to sort of reach out and find different voices than maybe you would. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely miss not being able to go around the clubhouse and just meet people and have some of those sort of more casual and formal interactions that, you know, are so important to kind of what we do and kind of one of the really fun parts of what we do. Uh, so yeah, hopefully we'll get that at some point this season, fingers crossed. Yeah. I and mean, it's funny, like this roster has already changed so much in the last 12 months or so. Like there are so many people I've, whose entire angels career I've been like, I've only spoken to them through a webcam. That's about it. <laughs> that's, that's the only interaction I'll ever have with them. Uh, so like, it'll be really interesting, obviously once, Hopefully we're a lot back in clubhouses, what that looks like. And uh, I know it'll be good for both of us, I think, to not have to worry about if we're going to write the same thing based off of the same Zoom that we're <laughs> sort of limited to when it comes to access and all that sort of stuff. Um, sort of shifting gears a little bit. I mean, you mentioned it last night. It was an eventful night. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in the last week or so with the Angels, uh, as with every team in baseball, just trying to finalize their rosters and stuff like that. I know – I mean, Jose Rojas making the roster was a massive surprise from the beginning of spring. Uh, Juan Lagares has been tearing the ball up, and he's going to make the roster as a fourth outfielder. And then yesterday, uh, I mean, the Angels pretty much remade their bullpen within 48 hours. Uh, what had like this roster movement? Like, what do you feel like has sort of been the telltale sign from that? And like, to, as far as like, I mean, did you could you sort of tell? Like, obviously, like, I'm sure we both could sort of tell like this, that a bullpen move was coming eventually. I just don't think any of us really expected it to be sort of three moves in 24 hours or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bringing in, what is it? Five new pitchers now in the last week was, uh, was yes, a lot. Plus, plus optioning Ty Buttery, which is big in its own right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, to me, again, as somebody who has been paying attention to this team, but kind of following them from a distance the last couple of seasons, like what always struck me was just, the imbalance on the roster when you look at the value and production you get from the top five guys and the lack of consistency and reliability and just kind of, you know, even replacement level production at times you got from the bottom five spots in the roster. And I think a lot of the moves to me strike me as almost little insurance policies to try to make sure that, that, that those last couple spots, the 20 through 26 guys um, are, are at least you know, not dragging down everything else that's happening on the team. So, you know, of these, like we mentioned, like the five new bullpen pitchers they bring in, maybe only two are going to be on the opening day roster. But you can see how you can see a world where all of them end up being useful, at least getting a chance to prove that, you know, they can they can be kind of effective members of the, of the middle part of that bullpen. Um, and I think you kind of you look across the roster and you see that like someone like you mentioned, like Juan Lagares, who you know, could play kind of a, a key, even if it's a smaller role, you know, like Jose Rojas, same thing. I think like what's interesting about the Angels to me is just how you go about trying to take this roster that's perennially underachieved, figure out where the weak spots are and address that in a way where they've, they've gone about it without really kind of committing themselves to a lot of long-term things without 
you know, taking a lot of risks. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it how it pays off if if it really is just that there are a bunch of little holes on the team that needed to be plugged, or if this is something where there's maybe kind of a, a bigger picture look needs to be taken at the overall roster. And I think that's what what will be interesting about this year is is all these moves are just to me kind of a, a confirmation that they're they're giving this team as as good of a chance as they can to win uh, within reason and will be a good measuring stick to see if, okay, instead of having, you know, Matt Harvey or Julio Tehran, like you now get a, a Jose Quintana or, or Alex Cobb, guys who like aren't high ceiling guys, obviously, but have been over the courses of their career kind of dependable, um, solid pitchers. And I think same thing with some of these moves they made last night and this week. So so that'll be the interesting thing to me. And I think kind of makes sense when you look at the context of their spring and their roster, um, why some of these moves were made, uh, especially given, you know, kind of the other question marks that were in the bullpen to begin with. So um, yeah, it'll be like, I was trying to think about like how many different guys we just might see on the roster this year who are, who are going to play. And it's, it, it's starting to look like a pretty big number. Um, and, you know, there are, there are pros and cons to that. And it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage that over the course of the year. Yeah, and I think like sort of extending that, like that's why they traded for Dexter Fowler as late as they did. That's why they went and got Jose Iglesias. They got, that's why they got Rysel Iglesias. I mean, these are all one-year deals. Like this is sort of like a sort of plug up the holes for this year, see what this roster can do and really make maybe like make that big swing from this new front office uh, in year two, especially with Albert's contract finally comes off the books. So that frees up some money. And obviously like your entire rotation is going to be a free agent after this year. Uh, if you include Dylan Bunny and Andrew Haney. Uh, so like, these are all going to be, like, this is a short-term plug up the holes, measuring stick kind of year, like a higher floor maybe than years past. And I think that's what it's going to show, but it's funny that you mentioned like so many different guys are probably going to play at some point this year. I think it sort of shows, um, I mean, the angels have kind of depth, a uh, lack that 40 man depth the last couple of years. I'm not saying that the 40 man's necessarily like 40 deep, like the Dodgers or Rays have it now, like it's not, but maybe it's a little bit closer to that than it has been in years past, especially when it comes to relief options. If need be, they, they don't have necessarily a lot of flexibility with those options because they don't have a lot of guys who have, who have minor league options. So you can sort of ping up and down, but at least like if someone goes down, it's not like the angels are going to panic when it comes to a bullpen piece. Like they can go trade for a bigger one uh, over the course of the season. Like someone who's actually made like a leverage guy, but like as far as like these middle relief arms, uh, it seems like today, like the last night's moves were about like sort of solidifying that part of it uh, rather than necessarily moving the needle and like what this bullpen's going to look like upside wise over the course of the season. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the subtext to, you know, a, a lot of the season is, okay, like the moves they made yesterday are indicative that they're sort of in a stage right now where they're a second tier bullpen, right? Like they're having to go and kind yeah. of get some of the other guys who can cut from camp, but but last year they were a third tier bullpen, like, you know, obviously, especially in some of those ninth inning high leverage spots, just like really struggled. And I think, you know, that's the thing, like it's, it'll be interesting to see a, if they can get just, especially on the pitching side, that's where a lot of this is focused, but like, if they can get just sort of like, just okay pitching and how much that may or may not help them. Cause I think that's the thing that I'm sure for like angel fans has had to be really frustrating the last couple of years. is just knowing that you've had sort of this weight, dragging you down uh, or dragging down the roster that has so much potential I think just kind of like like you mentioned raising the floor a little bit like seeing how much that that may or may not pay off I think is sort of the thing that's really interesting to me going into this season and, and will be kind of indicative of maybe what the long-term uh, 
potential or the next kind of moves that the front office is going to make. Because yeah, like going into this this coming offseason, there's a lot of different. It's almost like a choose your own adventure book. There's a lot of different things that they can do and decide based on what they see this year. Yeah, I think something you touched upon earlier is like the guys who didn't perform. It's not like they were like replacement level. They were like they were among the worst players in baseball when they were struggling. And that's a. I mean, there's a big difference between like replacement level and below replacement level to the fact where it was hurting the team. And I think you saw that. I mean, when Justin Upton was struggling in the beginning of last season before he turned things around, Joe Adele really struggling in right field. Like that outfield obviously took a hit because of that. Uh, you saw like when guys like Luis Renjifo, like who you would expect at least to be like a contributable play, like contributor player, like, even though he wasn't like an everyday guy last year, he was, he wasn't playable last year. And like you half the guys in the bullpen, like you couldn't, you couldn't even throw out there. Like you optioned Keenan Middleton, like pretty much banished Hansel Robles. Like they had that like was, that was one of the most striking stats to me going over last year was just looking at their combined numbers from left-handed relievers. And there there were none. I think of the, the few guys they had down there is like an ERA over seven. And yeah, it's just like little moves like that. Okay, now you have Alex Claudio. Sure, he's not an elite reliever but he's solid and that seems to be just sort of going back to like when the front office first took over right through this week has been sort of the 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 theme of a lot of the moves they've made yeah and it's sort of like i mean you're not you're gonna have like last september they were pretty much on the fringes of a playoff berth with one and a half guys probably that joe madden could trust in his bullpen and that was mike myers and sometimes felix Payne, depending on how he looked that day uh, like that that was not sustainable. And I think getting Rice Iglesias will help, but also like you saw Mike Myers' stuff maybe isn't quite as good as this spring as it was last year. I mean, that could obviously rebound. Like some guys were just slow starters in the spring. Uh, Ty Butchery just has not had any sort of consistency, and that's why like it it was shocking to have him to see him get option be, just because like he was expected to play such a role in this bullpen, and because like the Angels didn't have that depth really at that time to really have that make sense but like in terms of like strictly in a vacuum did he need to have work on some things absolutely and like that's why he got optioned and like you you just didn't have a whole lot of options and I think that's gonna be the thing this year we'll see like how much how much even like their lesser positions are gonna be positions where at least they have league average production like if Justin Upton is he doesn't have to be what he was in September or even the spring he needs just be like a slightly above league average hitter stay healthy, get out there for 140 or so games in left field, that's going to be a massive improvement. If, if like, Dexter Fowler, Joe Adele, like whoever's going to be a combination in right field, if that's even close to replacement level, that's going to be a big difference. Let alone if, like, Joe Adele comes up, comes back and he is a changed player or, like, Juan Ligares takes the right field job and he's all of a sudden, he's 2014 Juan Ligares again. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, like, how much they can close those gaps because those gaps are the difference between a team that is around like, where the projections have historically had them at like 84 to 86 wins and a team that wins like 72 to 78 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, 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 you know, it's, it's sort of like uh, the less sexy sort of positions and some of the, the areas that, you know, when you look at just teams, big picture around the league get glossed over, but, you know, I think somebody like, a team like the Dodgers is such a, for a lot of reasons, but like is a really good example of um, the importance of some of those positions. I think of a guy like Victor Gonzalez last year with them, who just no one was really talking about coming into the season and then was good. 
And if the Angels can have enough little stories like that, like I think that's the thing that, again, is is kind of tough to predict because you're looking at a bunch of guys who sort of have really have had a, a lot of sort of good stretches and, and not so good stretches in their career and who probably have a very wide sort of range of outcomes individually. But if you have enough of them, yeah, if you're playing the numbers game, you can probably say, okay, of, again, of Chesick and Watson and Hoyt and Ramos and, and Ramirez and all these relievers they got this week, like, all right, maybe one or two of them can be decent. And if we have one or two guys at the back of our bullpen who are decent, you know, how much does that help, you know, the trickle up effect? Same with the rotation. Okay, if we don't just have a, a you know, if we have fairly decent five, fifth and sixth starters, like how much does that help the bullpen? We have fairly decent guys at the bottom of the lineup offensively. How much does that help everybody else? It's, it's, it's tough, and it's all kind of marginal things that, again, are, are going to be really interesting to track over the course of the season. And because they now have a lot of solid, if not great, depth, like it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage that and try to push the right buttons. And like what you were saying, you know, when you have guys who don't have options, like trying to figure out how long a leash to give to certain players, um, it'll be interesting uh, and will be a, a test for Joe Madden and a test for the front office. But yeah, obviously it's a team that has a has the potential to get into the playoffs to really compete for one of those spots um, and is going to need to have just enough things go right and make sure they, they press the right buttons uh, at the right times to do it. Yeah, and then like I think it's just like shoring up depth the way they have. Like there's like that's how that's how Julio Tehran still got nine starts last year, even though like he very clearly from the first, first time we saw him, he was not right. His stuff was not right. He wasn't missing any bats. And yet he made nine starts, 10 appearances. Like he, that's why Jose Suarez got called on for multiple starts. Like Jose Suarez is still someone who's going to be like in your starter depth now, but he's probably ninth in that depth chart. And uh, you're hoping that you don't get to that far. But obviously the angels probably feel better about one through nine, who they have going into this year than, they did last year when it was sort of Julio Tehran, like sort of believing that he can sort of continue to be what he had been in Atlanta. Even then he was sort of on the decline, even coming in and Dylan Bundy obviously was a revelation, but like, even then like that, that wasn't enough. So like, I think adding what they did was sort of about continuing to raise that floor, continuing to maybe put, not have to put ask so much of guys who aren't ready or still have some work to do. Um, Speaking of people who have some work to do, uh, there's Shohei Otani, who is obviously the conversation point probably of every Angels conversation uh, this spring, just because, I mean, I, I think I've said this before, like, like Mike Trout's obviously like the most important guy on the Angels, but the guy who can swing the Angels' fortunes most of the, in 2021 is probably Shohei Otani. Uh, like, I know we're recording this on Tuesday, and he left Monday's outing with not a lot of command left to the blister on this right middle finger and a lot of questions about sort of what his season's going to look like. Uh, a lot of the optimism of this spring is sort of faded kind of overnight in a sense, but obviously like that's sort of always the case uh, with him. But like, where, where do you sort of stand on the panic meter with Shohei at this point? Um, I guess it, it probably depends like how much you were buying into what he was doing earlier this spring, yeah. um, which, you know, I think like, Obviously, I think offensively, it's clear or it's it's pretty easy to see him having a, a very good bounce back year at the plate. Um, just the opposite field power being back, the way he's worked counts and sort of managed at bats, I think has been pretty impressive. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how they try to utilize his his speed on the base paths. Um, so I, I think, you know, just from that baseline, you're going to be getting more than the guy who last year was hitting below 200 as your, you know, almost everyday DH. And, and from the start, like, I think that's probably important perspective to keep uh, yeah. you, you know, for, for Angels fans, when you start to try to evaluate, you know, what's possible for him and how they can use him and, and how he best impacts the team. You know, as a pitcher, this, the spring was good in flashes, right? Like, the fastball velocity being back was was really good to see. His splitter looked good, at times great, like pretty much throughout the entirety of camp. His other off-speed or, or breaking pitches um, were also reliable and was actually kind of one of the things that was interesting last night to see how he really leaned on like throwing curveballs early in the count and sort he of – He threw more first-pitch curveballs than I've ever seen him throw. Yeah, yesterday. and and again, like you'll have more of a reference point, you know, having watched him – the last couple of years and especially trying to work around the two starts he had last season, but it seemed like obviously it didn't go well from a, a numbers point last night, giving up seven runs in less than three innings. But I, you know, I think that there are signs that stuff wise, he's just, and, and, and from what, you know, the coaching staff has reiterated throughout camp, like mechanics wise is just in, in a much better place um, than where he was even last year before they shut him down. Now, if that means that he can go out and, and be, you know, like a legitimate sort of top half of the rotation starter, I think that's the question. Because again, even before yesterday, his fastball command would come and go in some of these outings. And he was getting himself into some longer innings pitching-wise and having to work out of jams. And there's a reason that even before last night, like his spring ERA was above seven because it hadn't been a perfect spring for him on the mound. Uh, but like, again, going into this this year, if you get a Shohei Otani who, A, stays healthy, which is like the big if, um, and who's productive at the plate, I think that'll be just such a big boost. And then whatever you get from the pitching, as long as he's not disastrous on the mound, I think, you know, there are some teams that probably benefit more from having Otani getting closer to whatever, 500 plate appearances and, and being really primarily a hitter. I think in the Angels' case, having him even just be a, a solid starting pitcher getting to pitch every six day making whatever somewhere in the 20 to 25 range of starts like like that could be really helpful um especially if the rest of the rotation you know not if if other guys in the rotation aren't having excellent seasons so like you know you talk about guys who have a pretty wide range of outcomes for how the season could go i think like otani's right there and sort of like the thing that I'm going to be really curious about is, is to see like how long of a leash he gets on the mound, because we've heard that they're, you know, their, their message publicly has been like, they're absolutely committed to this. They're going to just take it kind of game by game with him, see how he's feeling, make decisions based off that. But, you know, obviously there's a line where if he's, if he's not producing on the mound, you have to start thinking about, okay, what, what is the best way to use him? How can we maximize this just incredible, these incredible tools that he brings to the plate? Um, and, and I think that's the thing, like he's, he's shown this spring that, that he's capable, I think of getting back to being a guy who can be, you know, pitching every six day and at the MLB level and, and having success doing it. Um, it's the consistency piece and the health piece that, that kind of cloud exactly what to expect with him. So like overall, he's, he's going to be a plus for the team. I think that that's, that's a pretty uh, easy thing to see happening. 
Um, and it's going to be striking that balance between a, how much does he hit and pitch and, and how effective is he on the mound that I think will be the biggest questions and the biggest sort of things that the angels are going to have to weigh as they figure out how to use him and how he wants to play uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I agree. Obviously I agree that like hitting wise, I'm not really that concerned about him. I think last year, like you sort of saw, he was just completely lost. Like he was shuffling his feet up there, just like even like, it, it just looked like it was a, an adventure every single time he was there. And I know he talked about like how he didn't feel like he was really stable in his lower half and that impact him both as a hitter and as a pitcher. Uh, and he really rebuilt that. I think offensively, I think he'll be fine. I think he sort of showed in 2018, 2019, like he's going to be, even if he's not like the star level hitter, like elite level hitter he was in 2018, he's still like an above average hitter at this point. And he probably get better the more pitching bigly pitching he sees the more he continues to adjust because he's just that like he's a, a really studious type of guy like I'm not worried about him as a hitter uh pitching wise like I think the first red flag for me last uh last night's outing was sort of him coming out in 93 94 I know he did that a little bit when he was in, even in 2018 like just sort of building into that velocity in a sense and getting a feel of where his command was like his command just was never there uh he did get he did ramp it up to 99 though and he did say physically he feels fine besides the blister and he felt like he was sort of like, like trying to pitch around it in a sense. So that's maybe why some of the command issues were there. Like the command issues weren't as bad as bad on his slider, his splitter, his uh, curveball. That's sort of the pitches that don't rely on that middle finger pressure as much. Uh, although obviously he did hang a slider that Chris Taylor hit out. Um, but so we'll see. The command part is the, always the big thing with him. Because I, I know his command wasn't even that great in 2018. wasn't elite command in japan like that's something that's gonna be a long-term thing for him as a pitcher uh and that's sort of the last thing that comes back in tommy john rehabs is always like it takes a couple of years for that command to really get back uh and shohei hasn't pitched as much as a typical tommy john rehabber has like he hasn't pitched as often uh, so i think it's going to be coming down to a lot of reps uh, that's something that matt wise the acting pitch coach sort of said the other day was sort of like he just hasn't thrown enough to like really fully trust his stuff like his stuff is looks really good and he's had moments where he's like been able to sort of like lock it down and look like the guy that we expect him to be. And I think like some of the stuff of like some of his best pitches he's thrown this spring have been like with runners on base, which is really interesting to me, just the ability to lock it down, trust your stuff, let it play. Uh, and I think that's something that the command is going to be the big thing I'm going to watch. Uh, Cause I know last year, obviously the stuff wasn't quite there and he wasn't fully healthy, but also like the big, the first thing that we saw even back in summer camp last year was like, he was not, he had no idea where the ball was going. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's a good point is you know, last night's a little tougher to judge because we don't know exactly like how much the blister was affecting him, but like even in previous starts, like when the command would be spotty, he did this, uh, you know, against when he pitched against the white Sox, like he loaded the bases and what the, second or third inning of that game but then like limited the damage like got the command dialed back in in that inning even in the first inning last night against the Dodgers like okay walked to the bases loaded through the wild pitch that allowed the run to score but then got out of that inning with only one run and, and those are much better outcomes for like if that's kind of him at his worst you know you saw last year like he, he couldn't get out of those innings or the reason that you know when it's too like neither of his starts got through a, a third inning last season um and and to me like like that's an, an encouraging sign and something that Otani's even talked about how, you know, there are times that he tries to place the ball a little too much. And then when he gets guys on base is able to let it rip a little bit more and, and trust himself a little bit more and, and get through that. And yeah, like that'll be, 
again, over the these first, you know, the first month, two months of the season, if he's, you know, continuing to start every time for the rotation, like that'll be the interesting thing to watch is, 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 is he making those kind of incremental improvements, especially with the fastball command, like that, like so much of his success on the mound hinges on that, because if he can make that pitch something that he knows where it's going, he's really, really tough to face at the plate. Um, yeah. So it, it, again, it's, it's, almost like a microcosm of the bigger, like what we were talking about with the roster. Can he raise sort of the floor with some of that stuff on the mound to allow him to unlock all the other tools and potential he has up there? Yeah. Cause his fastball, like I, obviously he throws really hard, like he can touch one or two, but like, it's not like his fastball is like, was this super overpowering high spin Garrett Cole level fastball. Like it was a pitch that like, didn't have the best spin rate, although like his spin rate did go up a little bit uh, in yesterday's start. This is the first time we saw him with TrackMan data, so that'd be something interesting to monitor. Uh, but like, it's not like this super high spin fastball at the top of the zone like gets a lot of swings and misses. Like it's the pitch that like with velocity he can get some swings and misses, but like it's he needs to locate that well enough to let the other stuff that stuff that moves like crazy, like his slider moves like crazy. His curveball when he throws it, it's good. It's like really nasty, and obviously. The splitter is that two-strike weapon that is deadly for him. Like, he needs to use that pitch to be able to set everything else up. So, as he continues to pitch more, like, that's going to be the thing I need to look like. I that I think the Angels need to see is just him being able to locate that fastball, even if it's not early in counts, even if he sort of goes like the Dylan Bundy route with a lot of like pitching backwards, breaking balls on OO counts. But then, like, at some point, he has to show the fastball in the zone to be able to play everything else off of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think kind of like what you mentioned, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a theme for the whole starting rotation, which is a lot of these guys from Bundy to Keening to Canning all have good stuff and all have sort, you know, Bundy was a good example last year, of the guy who just figured out a little bit more how to utilize his pitches and how to make things work. And there's a reason that Joe Madden's talked a lot about the need to pitch sequence better. And we've heard so much about, you know, the things that assistant GM Alex Tamman has done sort of helping these guys understand their arsenals a little bit more and how to best attack hitters. Like all those things kind of come into play, especially with the starting rotation and especially with Otani to try to work around the areas where he struggles to try to maximize the things that he, that he's best at. Um, and yeah, like, we saw earlier this spring kind of what happens when that all kind of comes into place and goes right. And then we saw yesterday what can happen when it doesn't. Um, and again, just kind of makes for this, this like going into the season when you're trying to project some of these things is, is a little hard to do because there's, there are so many different ways that you can see it unfolding. Um, and yeah, that's, that's summed up really well with sort of when you look at Otani as a pitcher and what he might be capable of this season. For sure. Uh, so this is a season preview podcast, although we haven't mentioned Mike Trout or Anthony Rendon yet, which is really <laughs> weird. But I guess it sort of shows like how consistent and sort of like stable those two guys are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go through a quick little rapid fire to wrap up this episode. Who is your breakout pick for the Angels in 2021? Maybe this guy like isn't what you traditionally think of as like a breakout pick, but I just think like Jose Iglesias could really have an interesting season for a guy who people, again, like, probably aren't thinking about as being one of their more important players, but we've seen what he can do defensively this spring. Um, He had a pretty decent spring at the plate and has become a better hitter over time. Um, And I just think 
again, when you're looking at the lineup and thinking about, okay, after Trout, after Rendon, after Otani, when he's hitting, like who are going to be those next couple guys that can really give the lineup some depth? Like I'm really interested to just see kind of how Jose Iglesias' season goes. And I, and I just think, you know, when you're talking about guys that maybe you're not thinking about right now, playing a big role, he's somebody that comes to mind is, I think could be just a, a really fun player to watch, A, and a really productive player for the Angels. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that a lot. I think I'm going to have Iglesias probably somewhere on this uh, list of, like, questions real quick. But I, I was also going to say, I'm going to say uh, Griffin Canning. Uh, I, I, he was my breakout pick last year, so I'm just going to sort of follow up on that. Like, we've already seen what his baseline is, it seems like, at this point. Like, he's in above average. Like, he's an average or slightly above average uh, starting pitcher. And he's a guy who's going to stabilize the middle of this rotation. Uh, I'm curious to see if he can take that next step forward and be sort of that sort of fr- more front end type guy, number two going forward. Cause this is a rotation that going into next year has him, Otani, Reed Detmers, Chris Rodriguez, Jaime Berea, Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez on this. Uh, you thought predicting this year's opening day roster and stuff. I want to see a way too early 2021 or 2022 <laughs> roster projection. Oh, the rotation will be tough because because I mean, obviously, like we mentioned before, like Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, Jose Quintana, Alex Cobb are all going to be free agents after this year. Uh, so I, I want to see if Griffin Cannon can sort of take that step forward. I mean, he's the guy who we've seen him sort of tweak his arsenal. We've seen him learn how to sort of like make adjustments on the fly at the big league level. And that's something that is a big stage of his development. I wonder like what that next step is for him and how we can sort of make that work. I think he obviously has all the tools to do it. Like there's a reason why he was a second round pick and they considered him to possibly as like a first round type talent. If it wasn't for some of the back stuff he had in college. Uh, so, I mean, he's a guy who, as long as he stays healthy, I think he has room to sort of take that step forward. All right, Jack, who who is not going to be on the uh, opening day roster will make the biggest impact for the Angels in 2021? Yeah, this one was tough. I'm going to say Taylor Ward just because Ooh. he's such a versatile guy. Like he's he's one of the guys that I think when you're thinking about, okay, like who's not here that A, you probably know is going to get like a good run of play at some point this season and B, has sort of, shown the ability to kind of step into you know an MLB lineup an MLB role and and have moderate to even kind of solid success so like he's the guy I think that kind of sticks out who you know probably didn't get enough attention this camp just because of he was never really in the roster battle especially considering what Jose Rojas was doing um but is a guy that yeah like if they have an injury in the outfield or even maybe like behind the plate, like there's so many different ways you could see him getting onto the roster, making an impact. And again, had a pretty good spring as well. So I'll go with Ward. I like your thinking. Uh, I thought about uh, a couple of guys who are going to be hurt to start the year, whether it be like Felix Pena or Franklin Barreto. I thought about like Luis Rojifo. I thought about Jaime Berea just because we've seen him be a consistent starter. And I imagine they'll probably call on him for a few starts here and there over the course of the season. I'm going to go with uh, – this might be cheating a little bit, but like the combination of Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, whichever one of the two is the first guy up. Uh, I, I think I think there's going to be a point at the course of the season where there's going to be like a new everyday right fielder. It won't be Dexter Fowler the entire season. I think there's a chance for Marsh or Adele, whichever one of these young prospects it is, to sort of come in, get the ground, hit the ground running. And like obviously that, that makes a massive difference. 
in what the Angels cut could be in 2021. I think if Joe Adele is everything that we thought he could be, uh, that's obviously a, that changes like how you view this Angels team. And not saying it's obviously a guarantee, but I think those are the two guys who are in position if they get their chance to really make that big impact on an everyday basis. Uh, which pending free agent, Jack, for this winner who will not be on the, like who is a free agent this winter is going to be most important for the Angels to keep long term. So I'm I'm really glad that you just did a combo answer because I'm going to kind of give you one right here. I think it's it's either Bundy or Heaney, and it'll kind of depend on like how the season goes. I think, but it's really hard. A, you know, you figure that if the Angels are going to be competitive, they're in a place where one, if not both of those guys, have pretty good seasons. Um, and like you mentioned, when you look at the rotation next year there's just so many glaring needs uh that yeah like it's it's hard to imagine a good 2022 angels team um you know if they if the angels have a good 2021 it's hard to imagine them having a good 2022 team without at least one of those guys so i would probably lean towards bundy like he's younger he had he's coming off the better season he's sort of had probably like when you project long-term, like is probably the guy that you'd say has uh, maybe a slightly brighter future just because he's, he has a little bit more of an established track record. Um, but yeah, I, I'd go with one of those two guys. It just kind of depends on, on how the season plays out. You've snubbed Albert Pujols. <laughs> uh, I, I, he's got his, uh, he's got his 10 year, personal services contract so is he that's is true he is gonna be around long term pending free agent like he's, he's gonna be around long term yeah. yeah um I, i'm gonna yeah i thought about doing jose iglesias just to try to like veer away from the obvious answer there but i mean obviously there's so many options that shortstop like they don't right. need to keep him long term i think there might be a situation where it makes some sense to do it so um but uh yeah i think it's bundy like i think obviously like we've seen what he can be uh i think I don't know if he'll be the 2020 version of himself, but even if he's like the 2019 version of himself or something in between that, like that's someone who you want to keep around long-term. And I think if you look at this free agent starting pitching market, it's not the best. Uh, like there are some big names, obviously, in it, like Kershaw, Grinke, Verlander, uh, Scherzer. But I think those are all names that probably are going to be looking for a chance to know they're going to get a chance to win. I don't know if they're going to see the angels as that, um, and then, I mean, Lance McCullers just signed his extension. And other than that, it's like Noah Syndergaard was coming off Tommy John surgery. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, we don't know what he looks like after not being able to pitch last year because of COVID. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Um, who do you think was the biggest surprise to you this spring? You kind of, I think you have to go a couple of categories. So like, obviously, Otani, just what he did up until yesterday, but still on the totality of his spring, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. Uh, and then, like, obviously, Jose Rojas, who's a, a really big surprise making the roster. So if I'm picking one after kind of, like, those obvious two, like, I'd say, like, Justin Upton quietly was a was a pleasant surprise for the Angels this spring because that's a guy who, again, sort of like what I was mentioning with Iglesias earlier, like, they, they're going to need somebody or a couple somebodies to really kind of slot in and give them give their lineup uh, some some length and and that's a guy who you know last year has obviously had the injuries during his angels career who last year got off to such a such a slow start but then finished really strong and 
has tried to carry that over through the winter. He talked a lot about how he worked with Jeremy Reed, the hitting coach, on sort of figuring out what went right at the end of last season, building upon that. Uh, you know, it was interesting. Like Jeremy Reed said that, that Upton wasn't even really swinging a ton this winter, but then like he looked so good coming into camp. The production was good. Um, you know, obviously, obviously like the power um, was impressive. So like that's a guy who I think, you know, quietly had a really good spring that maybe ends up having like the most uh, impact in a way just because of, of what he did and sort of the way that he settled down that left field position at a time where, yeah, like Dexter Fowler kind of went the opposite way and probably, you know, didn't sort of ease a lot of minds about being like the, the option there for the whole season. So um, yeah, I'll go with Upton as sort of being after those first two, um, the, 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 the most pleasant kind of quiet surprise for the angels. Yeah, that's a good answer. And one I didn't really think of, I mean, obviously the obvious answers were like Jose Rojas or like Chris Rodriguez or, Shohei Otani, like you mentioned, I'm going to go with Jose Iglesias uh, just because like I had some expectations for what he was going to be defensively. I didn't really have a whole lot of high expectations for him offensively. I'm not going to try to read too much into it, Uh, but like there's a stability there and consistency there that you see sort of every single day defensively, offensively. Uh, Like there might be some changes offensively that he's made that like they might stick. And like if they if he's even close to a league average hitter, like that'd be really, really good. I just sort of got to thinking is like, cause I know the angels have had Anderson Simmons locked down at shortstop last couple of years, but like he has been injured for a lot of those last couple of years. And even when he has been healthy, he hasn't been his full hundred percent self. Mm-hmm. I think just having a full season of if Iglesias stays healthy, a full season of Iglesias and the fact that they were able to sort of get him the way that they did. I mean, they obviously trade some prospects for him, but like he, they're paying him three and a half million this year. Like, that's going to, that's a chance to really change a lot of things for the Angels this year. If he's able to sort of be what he has, what he was last year, what he's been so far this spring. And, and not to mention, like, it takes care of two positions because if you have a, somebody who's manning short as well as he is, then you also have David Fletcher manning yeah. second base, which, you know, you look at this infield um, and just defensively how good it could be and, and how much, again, it's one of those like marginal things that could really impact the, the pitching staff and impact, you know, just like overall, if you can get enough of these little things to add up, like, like that's sort of the question, like, can you get enough of these little things to add up? And will that make enough of a difference to sort of push the playoffs and, or push the angels into playoff contention? Um, so yeah, good, good pick there. Speaking of people who can push the angels into playoff contention, uh, <laughs> we're going back to Shohei Otani. What is his combined hitting and pitching fan graphs war going to be this year? Uh, this one, this one is tough. So like what the projections have them sort of in like that three to three and a half range. Like I'll go like three and a half. I think, you know, what he's, he's projected to like around one and a half war at the plate offensively. Like, I think it's, you could easily see him going beyond that again on the mound is tough to know, but I think if he's, you know, if, if they truly commit to him pitching like over a full season, um, that a means that he's probably pitching, at least somewhat decently and is like a one war guy. And if he's not, you know, then if, if they get to a place at some point where he's like hitting all the time, then uh, like that'll boost his, his, his offensive war, obviously. So yeah, I'll, I'll go like right around three and a half. It's kind of the pick on the higher end of the, you know, what the projection systems have. You stole my answer. I hate <laughs> you for it. 
Um, yeah, I think it's sort of like similar th- thought process. Like, his, I think offensively, he has a chance to be one of the more valuable defensive uh, designated hitters in baseball. Um, as far as like, in ter- like, it sounds like he's also going to get like closer to like 400, 500 plate appearances than maybe we originally thought because it's like it seems like he's going to hit more often than we thought he would. Uh, pitching wise, I could see him at like 90 to 100 innings. And like, if he's good enough that, like, that'll probably be like 1.2 or maybe if he's like sort of like that 2018 level of himself. Uh, so I'm going to say 3.7. That's it. That's sort of what I'm going with a little bit higher than the projection systems have him for. I think like, I think if you start getting to like that four, four and a half win range, like that's when you start like talking about him, in the MVP conversation, not necessarily at the front of it, but like, the fact that he's able to provide that sort of value doing both. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with 3.7. Real quick, kind of in a, in a perfect world, because it was, you know, as I've been trying to uh, just reviewing, going back and again, as somebody who wasn't following the team like day to day, like just reliving his 2018 season through things that were written about him back then and the way that people were kind of just watching and kind of amazed at the, how those first two months went. I mean, like to you in a perfect world, a, a, a two-way Shohei Otani who's like really good at doing both kind of where is that maximum I, we'll use war as like the measurement but like where is where is his ceiling there and like again I think it's a curious it's just an interesting question about like is like is his most valuable role as in in his best version as a two-way player uh that's like a really complex question <laughs> uh, I think like Max Shohei Otani, like you max out everything he does, like for a full season, like you just have like magic fairy dust. You're like, all right, he's healthy the entire season. You can use him as much as you want, like within reason. Like you can't pitch him every single day or something like that. Uh, like I think that sort of translates maybe to like 22 to 24 starts and like 500 plate appearances. And that's, I feel like as a pitcher, that can get you to around three war and that can get you to about three war as a hitter. That's maybe a six win player. I don't think he would get to a six, be a six win player as just a DH and out as an outfielder, maybe he could, but the question is there, like, then we don't know what he looks like defensively in the outfield. He hasn't played the outfield since 2014. I know he took some, he shagged some fly balls for a little bit last year, but like, that's not really anything. Uh, I think like we've seen with like Joe Adele, like how hard it is to learn an outfield position that you're not familiar with. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting idea. Like, in an alternate universe, if, like, Shohei Otani, like, never pitched, if he was, at like, 18 years old and, like, hey, you're a hitter, uh, you're a really strong-armed right fielder with crazy power, uh, I think he can maybe get to around that six-win range that way, too, maybe seven wins. But, like, that's obviously asking a lot. So, I think there is a path to him being, like, a six-win guy, like, but obviously that's a lot of health, a lot of usage and basically the best version of himself. Yeah. It is interesting that, uh, and I think sort of maybe the best sign of all that, you know, those are the kind of conversations that you can even start to have again this year with him, just because again, like it, it was, it was, it's really striking just to think about how quickly it went from people just having this, you know, imagination and just thinking about all the things he is capable of doing to like from basically the middle of that 2018 season on had it started to become like the focus was on all the things he couldn't do um as he was going through injuries and sort of struggling at the plate um yeah so 
baseball and the angels, I think both are just more fun when you can start to kind of think about those kinds of questions with a, with a player like that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's funny to see some of the reactions like, Oh, why does everyone keep writing about Tiny? Cause it's just like, you can have these conversations about him that you can't really have about any other player. You're like talking about Mike Trout. It's like, all right, is he an eight win guy or a nine win guy this year? <laughs> like what version of himself is, is he going to like, like, is he going to improve his jumps in the outfield? Like, Mike Trout's a wonderful, amazing player. Probably the best player I've ever, I'll ever watch. Uh, but like, you can't have these conversations about any other player, and you, you haven't really had a chance to have these conversations about any other player. So like, he's gonna always be Shohei Otani's always gonna be interesting for me to write about. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mike Trout for being somewhat disappointed in a 2020 season in which he still finished fifth in MVP voting. <laughs> yeah, and like, like what was it, like seventh in OPS and like like had like a best a career best hard hit rate it's <laughs> just like it's like oh yeah I, I was like read I, my swing didn't feel right the entire year and like my jumps were bad I was like yeah that must be nice must be must be really nice to be disappointed with that um so sort of finishing off these like real rapid fires um how where do you think the angels finish in the AL west it's so it's very tempting to think about uh like a season in which they get up to, and I might be stepping on the next question, but it's very tempting to think about a season where they get into like that low to mid nineties range. And if that's enough for them to win the division, but I think the likeliest thing is probably second behind Houston. If, you know, we're, we're picking on the range of outcomes, but again, like there's so many questions like in this division about what the Astros can, if the Astros can work around their own pitching problems how the A's will, if they can just sort of continue to plug in, uh, you know, players like Brandon, like is, is Mitch Moreland about to become like a breakout guy in the AOS? Like there's all sorts of like little things like that. Um, but yeah, I'll go with like second as again, probably being the most likely thing behind Houston. Yeah. I don't think there's any runaway team in the AOS or even two, like there was in a couple for a couple of years with the uh, A's and the Astros. I, I could see the angels finishing anywhere between first and fourth. Uh, I think anywhere in that second or third range is probably where they're most, most likely. I think Houston's just really tough, even though they lost George Springer, even though like their pitching staff has a lot of questions to it. I just think that like they're, and they're not really deep. Like, so I think that could change quickly, but I still think uh, Houston's a better team on paper right now. And uh, Oakland, I will not rule out yet, but I think I'll have the angels slightly ahead to start. Uh, where do you see the Angels like finishing record wise? Like, do you feel like that's a is there a winning record for the first time since 2015? Sure, I'll, I'll go with it's a winning record. I think I have like 86 wins will be my will be my pick. Like, like again, I, I I'm I am a little bullish on this whole idea that that they that they have enough sort of again depth and just solid production at the bottom of the roster at the bottom of the lineup in their pitching staff that can help take them from being yeah, a team that's been on like that mid high seventies, 80 win range the last couple of years and push them into, you know, 85, 86, maybe even a few more wins than that. I'm not sold that like, it'll be enough to get them all the way into the playoffs. Like I just think, or, or into like that mid nineties, upper nineties win range, like so many things will have to go right. And, and you'll have, you'll need a lot of guys to sort of, over exceed expectations but i think if everybody sort of plays to what are reasonable to maybe just like slightly optimistic expectations yeah like getting a winning record mid to upper 80s win range is good so i'll, I'll pick 86 is like the specific number 
spoken like someone who hasn't been burned by win loss prediction by the <laughs> Angels in the past. Uh, I think I'm on record as like 83, 84 wins. I, I said that earlier this spring. I think I haven't seen anything that like drastically changes that. So I'm going to stick with that. Uh, it just feels like this is a winning ball club and it has a chance to sort of be better than that. But I still have a lot of questions about the upside of the team. The floor is higher, but the upside is still, they haven't quite moved that needle. Like a change, they could add someone to the deadline by still say 83, 84 wins. So does Mike Trout get back to the playoffs? I, again, I, I, I'll say no, but I think it's, not 50 50 but maybe like 40 60 35 65 like i again i i think that the i think i'm gonna steal your line again like the ceiling or the floor is just a lot higher um and whether they can get enough things to go right to get into the postseason i don't know i think that there's a lot of external factors there too about just especially in this division and you know like if Seattle is like really bad and Texas is really bad. Like that's going to be a huge boon for the angels in the wild card race and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely possible and it will be a, I think a disappointment if they aren't playing meaningful games in September. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite ready to say they'll be in the postseason. This might be somewhat controversial. I think it's easier for, the path's easier for the Angels to win the division than it is to win one of the two wild cards. I, I think just the competition's that tough in the rest of the American League. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think the Twins and the White Sox are going to be a really competitive race uh, in the AL Central. And then you look at the AL East, like, I don't think the Red Sox will be terrible. Uh, the Rays took a, they take a step back. I, I don't think they made the playoffs, but I think they're going to be right in that mix again. Like, their pitching and their depth is still really good. And we'll see, like, what Wander Franco looks like once he comes up. Uh, I really like what the Blue Jays did this winter, and I think the Yankees are the best team in the AL. Uh, so, like, th- there's a lot of competition for those wild card spots. I think there's a better path for the Angels to try to like see how flawed Houston is, how flawed Oakland can be, uh, and sort of like jump those two spots to be able to get into the division, like to win the division, and get into the playoffs, but. I don't think they get there. I think they're close. I think they're more competitive than years past, but I, I think they miss it. Yeah. No, I think it's a good way to put it. They've sort of positioned themselves to where if things break right around them in their division and in the league, that they're going to, you know, like I don't think this is going to be a season where they look back and go like, oh my, like that was such an attainable, you know, the threshold to get in the playoffs is we were so much lower and the Angels just weren't there. I think like you know, it could be a team that, again, if things sort of benefit or break their way around them, that they could be in a position to take advantage of it, maybe being a slightly easier year. Like like you said, I think it's totally reasonable that it's easier for them to win the division than to, to get a wild card berth. So, um, yeah, I, you know, to me, it, it seems like at least going back to like a, a, a normal playoff field, probably the the easiest sort of path to the postseason that you could have seen for this team in a little while. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but uh, yeah, it should, I think it makes for, like I said, I think that this is just a really, for a lot of reasons, because of all the different things they can do with the roster this offseason, because of Otani, because of the young guys that we're going to see from Chris Rodriguez to, like you mentioned, if Marsh and Adele come up, like, I think this is going to make for a really compelling season in a lot of ways, even if they're still a little bit flawed. 
Yeah, this feels like that sort of that transition year in a sense. Like they're going to be competitive. I think there'll be there's a chance for them to make the playoffs. I'm really interested. I'm, I'm probably more interested in the 2022 Angels right now than I am in the 2021 <laughs> Angels. As weird as that is to say, just because like there's so much change that's going to happen next year uh, when it comes to the rotation, when it comes to having money come off the books, they might sign another big free agent. Uh, and then like, obviously we don't know what the CBA is going to look like. We don't know what anything's going to look like. They could be expanded. Yeah, are we even going to get a 2022 season? Yeah, <laughs> but there could be expanded playoffs. Like how does that change things? Like who knows? Like I think that's something that's, Gonna be a lot of questions. Well, that will wrap up this episode, episode three of Twenty Seventh Heaven. Uh, thank you, Jack, for joining us. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, Jack. Uh, I have a kind of complicated Twitter name. Yeah, like yeah, the a underscore Harris. Uh, but yeah, or uh, you know, latimes.com or always pick up the paper in print. It's uh, as as I was explaining to you last night, yes, the uh, it was quite a bummer that we had to file our our roster projections for uh, Monday morning's paper, not uh, and not today's, because it would have looked a little bit different. But uh, that's all right. All right, thank you, Jack, uh, and thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, some point soon, uh, probably to talk about this opening series uh, with the White Sox and possibly with that rest of that hometown with the Astros. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next time. <laughs>